I'm Tim Gombas, and this is Faith Improvised. It's a podcast where I can think out loud and talk with friends about things that interest me. Books, films, sports, music, culture, politics, the wonders and complexities of being Christian in this world, and my academic discipline, biblical studies. You're welcome to email me if you like at faithimprovised at gmail.com. In this episode, Steve and I talk about the quest for certainty in an uncertain world. So this morning when I was on my walk uh, around Cherokee Park in the early uh, pre-dawn morning, singing uh, Oasis songs and Radiohead to Nothing But The Trees, which I'm sure enjoyed it, uh, as Mary Oliver says, I have my ways of praying as you no doubt have yours. Um, I was thinking about this quote. Um, I've used this before and... um, I had some people ask about it. And then you mentioned this several episodes back and somebody asked about it and and just was like, whoa, you just dropped that and moved on. Um, I was thinking about this quote in sort of like so many ways of pulling it apart, which I think are really, really fascinating. But I'll just, I'll mention it and then we can kind of um, take it apart a little bit. But this is from Mark C. Taylor's book. What's the name of the book? Uh, After God. Okay. This is um, having to do with certainty and uncertainty, but it's it's from a section in which he um, uh, talks about cultivating uncertainty. And I'll just read I'll read the quote and a little bit of its elaboration, but then I'll go back and read it again. But he says, "Certainty is the symptom of death; uncertainty, the pulse of life." Death is, of course, possible before the end of life. Living death occurs when possibilities seem exhausted because the future is nothing more than repetition of the past. This condition is despair, from the Latin desperare, de, meaning reversal, plus sperare, meaning to hope. This condition is despair. To suffer despair is to be without hope. Hope is the fleeting trace of the inexhaustible openness of the systems and structures without which life is impossible. Apart from uncertainty, there is no future, and without a future, there is no hope. The nourishment of uncertainty serves as a therapeutic corrective to every truth that claims to be absolute. Inasmuch as uncertainty marks the elusive horizon of life, the future is threatened less by doubters than by true believers who insist that their way is the only way, which is just seems to be so much to pick apart there. But this is, this is the quote that I, I just think is so pregnant. Certainty is the symptom of death. Uncertainty, the pulse of life. And, uh, I mean, you've obviously, you uh, carved that into your bookshelf because uh, yeah. you found it to be so significant. But I was thinking this morning um, about, like, alternatives to that or, like, what is what is he trying to correct or, like, how, how might that strike some people? Because I, I think that there would be a good number of people that would imagine that certainty is uh, the is the symptom of or is a feature of security or certainty is a feature of safety um, mm-hmm. or rest or something like that. But because certainty is attractive and certainly um, Taylor's getting at something there by trying to point out something of a corrective. But like, what do you think is like, what is what, how has that been significant for you? And what do you think? he's trying to get at there. 
Well, a lot, as you mentioned, there's, it's, it's a pregnant, that, that, that paragraph you read is loaded. Um, it comes almost 400 pages into his book where he's developed a lot along the way. So if, if listeners out there are going to, I've been scratching my head over this for, um, oh, well, 12, 14 years now, um, after God that you just quoted from was the first book I ever read in, in my doctoral studies. And I mean, the book itself was transformative in a way that I'd say very few books have ever been in my life. Um, so there's a lot to unpack. Um, but, but yeah, I was thinking about boiling it down um, to what he's getting at. Uh, like you mentioned, it seems certainty, and this is what, this is the lure of, of, um, of fundamentalist cultures that offer absolute certainty, predictability, stability, uh, foundationalism, mm-hmm. things that make you feel like because, because we live in an uncertain world. And I think that that is inescapable. It goes back to, I mean, the Stoics talked about it. The Buddhists talked about it. Even Jesus talks about how the spirit moves in a way that you can't predict. It's, it's like the wind. He, he, he likens it to breath or air. You feel its effects, but you can't control it. You, nobody can control the wind. Um, it, it goes where it goes. And um, I, think, I think he's on to that, too. Um, and these great wisdom traditions see this. Um, but because, because we know deep down that things are uncertain and um, I guess just with that, I would say, for for me, the quote itself is saying that forms of alleged certainty, because I think he's talking about there anything that offers an absolute predictive measure of of whatever um, the future, the the current moment that is that is really dishonest at, mm. at the end of the day. Because we don't know. We, we really don't know what's next, what, yeah, what comes the truth of it. That's the truth At of best, it. It's only, perceived, it's only perceived certainty or a quest for certainty. On the other hand, uh, it, it, uncertainty for me is, is, is just is to embrace this posture is liberating for me because it prepares me for an unpredictable reality. And all reality is unpredictable. Yeah. Anybody that start, I always, I, you know, my, my, I wrote my dissertation on fundamental cultures and, you know, we kind of go into that direction sometimes in a religion class that I'll teach from time to time. And, and, um, I just tell students, <laughs> if you hear somebody claiming to have all the answers and every little thing in this world figured out, run for your life. Yeah. Cause it's either a cult leader or somebody yeah. who's out to salesman. Yes, salesman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I got snake oil here, man. It cures cures it all. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that in, a, in just a very basic level is what it is. There's a lot. Yeah. You know, science, um, he, he uses the word knowledge there in the quote. I think you read. Uh, no. Wait a second. Yeah, I think it's just a little further. I, I sent you a text of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he says, since knowledge is just right after where you stopped. Mm-hmm. And as much as uncertainty marks uh, the elusive horizon of life, the future is threatened less by doubters. Yeah, you read that one. And then the following sentence is, since knowledge. And that that word from the Latin is scientia, which is mm-hmm. where we get science. Yeah, 
inevitably includes, as a condition of its own possibility, that which remains incomprehensible. It is always incomplete. I mean, even so, on the scientific. I mean, this is what this is what gets kind of into the weeds a little bit. You know, cultures that are, are trying to cultivate certainty will criticize science because it is uncertain. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what gives it its robustness. It it never yeah. claims to have arrived at absolute. The moment that that happens, oh, science totally. dies. Right. Yeah. And yeah. but but the criticism from some fundamentalist cultures that I've interacted with say, well, see, science is always changing its mind. It's always, you know, right. A hundred years ago they said this, and fifty years ago they said this. It's like, well, yeah, that's exactly how the system's that's supposed the to work. Of science, yeah, it's self-correcting. Exactly. Yes, yes, self-correcting yeah, totally. and open to new hypotheses every day. Right. So, yeah, you can look at it from a lot of different angles. Um, yeah. Um, I just was thinking this morning about how it is that like there there is something um there's something driving the quest for certainty like the quest for answers especially mm-hmm. um I mean there on one hand there are people who are just like agitated intellectually like they just are not yeah. satisfied until they get to the bottom of something like you're like this like just very like just innately yeah. curious like, <laughs> always just pulling up the lifting up the hood, pulling up the rug, just like, what is, what's underneath that? Well, what's underneath that? Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, there's like uh, people who have um, experiences that sort of shake them up at the subterranean level and like just everything gets thrown up in the air. I mean, I'm just thinking about, um, what's his name in A Serious Man? Who? Um, nope. Leonard Gopnik. Yeah, Leonard Gopnik, who's just like everything is just going to hell. And everything, is, and, and he is, he wants answers, and he wants certainty, and um, it's so attractive. Like, I just was thinking about, like, how I felt the first time I saw that, and, how, like, the my emotional response Yeah, when he goes to the second rabbi, and <laughs> the second rabbi, you know, has some... You know, back and forth, back and forth, and then he and then he tells him, "Have I ever told you about the goy's teeth?" <laughs> and he's telling this story um, about uh, the dentist, some some uh, some goy, some Gentile dentist who um, <clears throat> found some Hebrew lettering written on the inside of uh, one of his patient's teeth. And uh, Sussman, <laughs> Can Sussman, yeah, well, well, he was a Jewish dentist. It was a goy patient. Oh, the patient was a goy. Okay, right, right. Yeah, and Sussman yeah, yeah. is the Jewish dentist. So he um, he he just tries to figure this out and figure this out. Well, well, anyway, for me, when when the rabbi starts to tell Leonard Gopnik about the goy's teeth, yeah. I was like, God, this is he's gonna he's gonna give him he's gonna deliver to him some kind of an answer. Like the, he's gonna give him something to hold on to, and this will be satisfying for me. Like I felt that emotionally if I were to sort of register. Yeah how I was feeling when I saw that the first time. And then a couple scenes later when he's talking to his, when Leonard goes to see his lawyer, Ron Meshbesher, <laughs> <laughs> they're going back and forth. And he said, yeah, I went, he said, did you go see the rabbi? I said, I went to see the rabbi. And he goes, did he tell you about the goy's teeth? Oh. And I, re- I remember the first time I saw that. It was like an absolute gut punch. Totally. That like, yeah. It's it's so devastating because it's like he kind of tells because Leonard wants to know what my whole life is going to hell. 
what is Hashem telling me? What is Hashem doing? What is Hashem telling me? And Hashem is, you know, how Jews refer to God. You know, it's the Hebrew yeah. for the name. And right. so it's like he is on this quest. And it's as as you're kind of journeying with Leonard and having sympathy with this main character whose soul is in torture, um, it's like you also want to find it. You want to get to the bottom of things. Mm-hmm. And um, when you find out that the whole thing is that, that that whole quest is an illusion, that there is no final, there are, there are no answers. And that even the rabbis like, how does this Hashem communicate with us? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just, it's so it's like, I think for me, so sort of taking off on what you're saying, it's like, it's so helpful to keep in mind. In fact, that's the subtitle of that section of Taylor's book cultivate uncertainty it's so mm-hmm. helpful to sort of like uh, oh yeah in Pema Chodron's book yeah. um, comfortable with uncertainty it's so helpful to cultivate that and to keep that in mind to actually hold on to that reality that there are no answers um, uh, and, and that to sort of let go of that and to give in to the illusion that you're going to kind of get to the bottom of something and have something make some kind of sense only sets you up for devastation and disappointment like yeah. like in a world of suffering there that way is is just going to bring more suffering yeah you know well, that's where emotional suffering yeah totally that's that's a great um illustration that movie for that restlessness that we all have to want to get to the bottom of things that yeah there, it's natural there's no way to get to the bottom of them um yeah pema pema yeah, she, one of her, I'll never forget, one of her um, uh, meditations, you might say, is that we can never know what will happen to us next. We try to control the uncontrollable by looking for security and predictability, always hoping to be comfortable and safe. But the truth mm-hmm. is that we can never avoid uncertainty. This not knowing is part of the adventure. It's also yeah. what makes us afraid. <laughs> I mean, yeah. really huge. Yeah. The yeah, Stoic totally. tradition, yeah. Go ahead. Well, yeah, the Stoic tradition says the same thing. Like Seneca said, we become weepy and furious, uh, not simply because our plans have failed, but because they have failed and we strongly expected them not to. Yeah, and so we, totally. we set up for ourselves. So all of those are the undergirding for the way I see cultivating. Like you say, like Taylor said, it's cultivating uncertainty because it makes me more yeah. realistic and I don't yes. take things as personally like, okay, something happens. Like when you remember when I had my ultimate vehicle, it was a, a, oh, a yeah. FJ cruiser that was like, yeah. was, I had a bunch of off-road stuff done on it. It was, it was just badass. It was brand new. It was my ultimate dream vehicle. And some dude, some drunk driver just ran a red light. It was parked on downtown Louisville. It just totaled it. They just crashed into it. And I was just like, well, there goes that. But even then, I was already cultivating some of that to where I was like, ain't personal. It's just a crazy world. Yeah. Yeah. Random events. Stuff just happens. Yeah. and, And, you know, because I was at a point already trying to cultivate some of this stuff that, well, that's the way things go sometimes. Yeah. Don't take it personal. Hashem's not trying to tell me anything. Yeah, that's right. But then I had family members who were trying to 
weigh in uh, as if there was some purpose to it. Yeah, that's like right. one one Maybe. one person told me, "Well, I'm so glad. Well, at least you weren't in the thing." But I was like, "Well, if I was in the thing, I would have been driving, and it would never have happened in the first place." Yeah. So yeah. you know, I was in a different place. So you can't, you know, efforts to explain and try to yes. harmonize the yeah. unpredictability just make it all the worse. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't know. Like, there's some rational. Uh, cosmos in which like all this makes sense or like you know look at yeah. yeah there's so many ways of just of avoiding the reality of saying damn it bro yeah I'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> that, that sucks <laughs> you hit a deer you blew a tire out i know there's no explaining it there's um, no message from hashem no that's such a human that's such a human quest though um, mm. sort of read the augers <laughs> right right read the entrails and uh read, yeah. you know, try to read events to try to figure out surely oh. uh this makes sense in some yeah. way surely this event you know is trying to communicate with me i mean early early monday morning whatever time it was five forty, mm-hmm. that i took off from your house and was driving back up up back up to town man it was wet out raining you know i was going i was wasn't going too fast <laughs> um, but it was wet on the highway and it was, there was a curve and about probably 60 yards ahead of me when it is when it came into view, there's like this 10 gallon bucket that's just sitting in the road right in the middle of my lane. Good grief. And like, what am I going to do? I can't swerve. I can't, I'm, I'm just, it's like, whatever's in that bucket, I'm just going to bash right into it. And I did. <laughs> and, um, it, uh, it messed up the, you know, the, the lower grill in the front of my car. It's like, damn it. What, what, <laughs> but what are you going to do? It's like, I'm not going to swerve. Yeah. I'm not going to try to avoid it. I'm just going to like hold on. I hope there's not, you know, full of cement. I mean, it was empty and just kind of blew up. Yeah. But, um, yeah. yeah. Stuff happens. Um, it goes to a very ancient place. I mean, we've been trying to explain sure. and predict stuff for a very long time because totally, it just, it does seem personal when something crazy happens to you. And you're trying to do everything right. You're just trying to get with whatever system you live in, and then yeah. things go bonkers. The wheels come off, and it's like, what? There, what is the reason for this? And it just, yeah, we do, we do want, we we want to, we want predictability. That's what Pema says. Yeah. Um, but the fact of the matter is, and I think you can pick up on it even in religious parlance, <laughs> where oh yeah, people will say, well, God works in mysterious ways. Well, yeah. that is absolutely meaningless. Totally. That, to me, that doesn't mean anything. It's just a way of trying to say, well, I don't have anything well, to that's say. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, well, that's crazy. Yeah. That's nutty. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, I don't know. Far better yeah. to just quote Sheriff Bell. Yeah, so right. Wonders. <laughs> <laughs> that's a way of absolutely saying nothing. You're exactly right. Because yeah. it's not like um, that's not like that sort of statement can be found anywhere in Christian scripture or in any religious text. No. It's just bullshit. It's just it's a way of like yeah, um, it's a way of quieting down someone who is having an appropriate reaction to the randomness and the capriciousness of life. Like this just happened to me. Like yeah, damn it, this just happened, and it sucks. And <sighs> instead of someone just yeah. saying like, man, I'm so sorry. That does suck. It's. I mean, who wants to? I just got my GTI fixed after hitting that deer this summer, and I crank oh. into a bucket. It's like I don't want to hear something about like, well, what was the Lord trying to tell you, or what is, 
you know, God oh, works in mysterious you. ways. Or who, like, what does that even mean? It, but it's just a way of somebody it. else being um, encountering discomfort with a situation mm-hmm. that is just ridiculous and that has no meaning. And there, there, it's like there's that sort of emotional sense, that existential sense. I, I should say something to kind of like right. appear wise or something like that. It's kind of a, trying to save face in a, some belief that really is not making a whole lot of sense. Yes. So all, your default position is, well, that's, God works in mysterious ways. Like yeah. That tells me absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That just tells me. in the heavens as well. Yeah. <laughs> bizarro. Right. Heavens are also a bizarro world. Yeah, it's no, really totally. interesting. This is, a, this is an ancient human quest. I mean, uh, we talked previously about Job. Um, I mean, he's someone who is, uh, you know, encounters something that is inexplicable and has that very natural human reaction of like, I want, I want an accounting for this. Like, what is the deal? You know? Right. Um, which is just, that's just a human response. Sure. And, um, ultimately though, there is that recognition. I think it's, you're exactly right. There's just the, the wise recognition which i think is kind of the um this seems to be the genius running through ecclesiastes where it's just like man buckle up and uh buckle in because there's just a bunch of crazy shit that happens without explanation um and there's just this kind of wild randomness um and you just have to sort of get comfortable with that um, and it seems to me w- one of the things I was thinking about, you know, just sort of uh, chewing on this morning, was how what is also what is also ancient and what is also sort of primally human is the quest uh, for for guaranteed outcomes. <clears throat> yeah, I want I want things right. to work out for me in the future, and I want to be certain about that. <clears throat> and so. I mean, this seems to be what is underlying, you know, uh, religious practice from ancient times until now. I mean, you know, you kind of mentioned this several episodes ago when you, when you get on an airplane, um, you know, or you're you're sort of doing something that might be a little bit risky. You're sort of like, well, we all good up there? You know, I mean, we yeah. just sort of sort of look to the gods or look to the heavens. Um, and this is the this is the impulse that runs through idolatry that you know, the temptation that faced biblical Israel. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, they're being told, um, they're being told, depend only on God for the reins and for protection and all of that. And this kind of like counterintuitive mode of life that they're being called to in Torah. Um, and it's, I, I, I guess I would just say, I think people look down their noses at biblical Israel as if idolatry was just was such a stupid move that they made. Um, like faced with the choice of worshiping the God of Israel or worshiping the gods of other nations, they just they always chose wrong. But idolatry is very subtle in that it offers um, it offers guaranteed outcomes, like for fertility, for family, right. for crops. And so it's like you know, yeah, we're the people that worship. You know who we say is the one true God, but you know what? Baal offers the rains and uh, crops, and doggone it, um, let's kind of right. let's you sort of hedge our bets here. So I mean, it's survival. It's trying to make sense of life and trying to grab onto something that 
um, that offers a guaranteed future, which I think is kind of what Taylor was getting at. Um, you know, imagining that the future is just going to replicate the past is a form of certainty that is is actually living death. That's right. That is that's like, the crux of it. You just that you're is, just repeating mistakes from the past. Yeah. Um, through these aphorisms or mantras or you know whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Um, again, yeah, the Stoics you. You know, they're they're to sum up like on one of my three by five cards. I realized reading Seneca, this this one sentence: "The less we expect, the less we will suffer." Yeah, and uh, it's kind of a harsh reality. And I think yeah. getting back to like why why so much uh, grasp grabbing on to what sounds certain, especially these days when we have a lot more answers to why why do earthquakes happen plate tectonics why do hurricanes happen well they happen in the in the equatorial region they don't happen in canada necessarily or alaska but other things happen there um tornadoes and we have a lot more explanatory power now just from modern science but so why you one would think um there there would be a, a loosening of the grip on rigid categories like that. Now, I can understand why the ancients, if they didn't know plate tectonics or, you know, some regions have different weather patterns than other regions. This is just the way it is. If you buy a house in Florida, you better get some hurricane insurance (laughs) because sooner or later, it's going to hit you. I don't care where you live. Um, But, you know, I don't need that here in Kentucky. Now, it's a good thing to have a basement because a tornado could come here. Yeah. But uh, it's just it's just those are just predictabilities. They're not. But but the ancients were like, well, no, this is something special here. Uh, so so what I'm where I'm going is that like y- y- we can be a lot more easy on the ancient peoples who didn't have modern technologies to try to figure yeah. some of this out. And saying that, of course, we haven't figured everything out. Still, crap hits us and we're not ready for it. Floods and all yeah. that, and it still sucks like it always did. But we have a little more forewarning sometimes and hey don't build your house in a floodplain because just you think you got things right with poseidon doesn't mean that things are not going <laughs> to flood right i mean but uh yeah. yeah i think but so why is it in the modern what would i postmodern whatever world we live in now network society i guess you'd call it why is it that there's still maybe as fervent a grasping for certainty as ever i mean you see all these yeah, movements right of People wanting to get conservative. Um, yeah. Taylor's thesis is that because the world is growing more complex mm-hmm. and instability is rising because of the rise of information. That's right. And and because it, it, the more that feeds into itself, the more unpredictable, the more yeah. absolutely nonlinear everything becomes. Yeah. And thus we're, we're, we're grasping more than ever for for. <laughs> everybody's looking for answers yeah you know but exactly anyway yeah, yeah. that's what i was going to say i think that with with the multiplied um you know with endlessly multiplied sources of information and increasingly uh in chaotic feeling that people have i think it's like um uh the quest for certainty is as fervent as ever and it's like i think it's like you, you, if you think about the mindset that would assume 
that with um, technological advances and all the rest, fundamentalisms would die. And exactly the opposite is happening. Exactly. In fact, like over the last several years, I mean, this has been, you know, something that we've talked about and um, I talked with plenty of folks about um, like the rise of conspiracy theory thinking and how it is that people are actually like believing the cockamamiest sort of things in response because it it offers some kind of simple explanatory power in the face of increasing complexity and chaos. That's right. That's it in a nutshell. It's, it's, it's simple. It's clear. It's, it's, you know, certain. Yeah. This is, this is, this has to explain it. Yeah. Not that no, you know, wicked problems have no explanation necessarily. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. And then you think about, um, all the anger and rage of political figures, whereas it's like, my goodness, some of these problems are just intractable and difficult. They're not just sort of, you know, um, you know, it's not the case that someone with just some like bullheaded rhetoric can get in there and sort stuff out. You know, right. uh, I think that that mindset is currently plaguing the Republican Party, which is why the House <laughs> Republicans are in just such complete meltdown mode. Because the only thing they know yeah. how to do is bluster at each other and have no <laughs> idea how to actually work together. Cooperate. Yeah. 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 It's pretty, pretty fascinating. I read a. I read a um, article on the plane. I was just traveling to Pennsylvania this week, and um, uh, it was in the Atlantic on Mitt Romney. He, he's a mm-hmm. really interesting character. You know, he obviously ran for president. He's a he's a man of convictions. I was like impressed by him. Mm-hmm. Like, and he was so. He thought, you know, he had people saying, "Okay, go for Senate. You're going back to Utah. You, you got this is a slam dunk in Utah because." You know, you're a Mormon and and you've and you're moderate. And they were in the the voting demographic in Utah didn't want an extremist, didn't want. And so he easily was elected and he thought, okay, I'm going to go to Washington and I'm going to work work with some people who really can can work, who 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 will collaborate with me. Um, He thought of Mitch McConnell. He thought of some others. And he went there, and he's just so disillusioned. It was like he's so beat up. He's just like, man, I can't believe this. We're not even – we're so vitriolic and at each other's throats that I don't know. It, it was it was a kind of depressing article because he was like – he went with some hope of, of, of getting into the complexities of things, yeah. you know. But he was just like tail between his legs. He's like, now I'm persona non grata oh, in totally. the Senate. But I, I'm the guy who used to work with people. He, he met with Joe Manchin and said, "Hey, Joe, let's let's talk reasonable here." Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, well, yeah, not allow that going on right now in Washington. No, it doesn't. I mean, it's um, like it, yeah. What I've been interested in is how Joe Biden is quietly being like this sort of under the radar, fairly competent president. Yeah. Um, you know, nobody makes everybody happy and there's all kinds of things that like, and, and people often don't understand that, um, that the president has such limited capacities and powers exactly. you know, in the executive branch. And there are problems that each administration inherits that they really can't do a whole lot about. Right. Um, but it's like this guy is just sort of quietly being a pretty, uh, um, 
you know, workman horse like president doing a fine job and certainly has done his part to turn down the volume and and turn down the oh, crazy yeah. in Washington. Um, but there's like it's nobody values that because politics has has sort of just only become sort of did you have a a cool take or a soundbite come back at somebody did you insult somebody in, in like a, <laughs> an eight second soundbite and look cool on camera um but that kind of stuff just that style cannot yeah. govern no 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 not in a two-party system that, that we that hope. sort of thing goes right alongside of like the quest for certainty is mm-hmm. like this this absolute clarity like i want you to right. you know come out Thump in your chest, stake, you know, put your stake in the ground, and um, it's it's just ridiculous. Yeah. It's completely clueless, and and the people who have adopted that style are basically just devolving into absolute, you know, incoherent gibberish, clown car, jackassery. <laughs> <laughs> I know it, man. It's a complete it's crazy, dude. <laughs> it is. It is. I I don't know. I. I you know, just but, embracing but all that to say. That's that is the quest for certainty, sort of like um, added up. If you if you think about um, like emergent structure, like the quest yeah. for certainty um, at the culture wide level looks like that sort of politics. It doesn't it look does. like um, being measured, um, accepting outcomes that are not ideal. Like uh, if we all kind of come together and talk about what we would all desire. Nobody's going to win outright. We're all going to get some of what we would like. We're all going to have to give in in some ways and let's just kind of make it work. Right. Um, Kind of recognizing that reality is how it is um, brings you to that point, which is kind of like the, it's sort of like the relational payoff to the emotion, to the inner emotional work of cultivating uncertainty. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> like, if That's, you really and, believe, like, you, it just there are no guarantees. So we all kind of like we all got to work together here. We're all in this together. Let's 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 have some conversation and work things out and see if we could bring about outcomes that are going to be serviceful to you know in in the greatest degree for the most people. I think that's what Taylor means by life, uncertainty, yeah. life, because Being we're only going to live possibilities. One way. Yeah, yep. he said he said something in a podcast recently. I heard that kind of blew me away, but it connected to that. This with all that's going on with so much that is depressing and thinking is this is the end. I mean, um, of our of our our planet of of our species, whatever. Um, and he said, "Well, the only hope I have." He was talking to a younger guy who's you know up and coming. He said, the only hope I have is that we realize that we're all in it together and we're all connected. Yeah. We, yeah. In, not just us as human beings, but the plant, the plants, the animals, we yeah. have got to get a grip on that or it's uh, pretty much, um, it's, it's pretty dark looking on the horizon. Yeah. Yeah, that um, people who desire certainty um, end up being the same kind of people uh, who are sort of tribalistic and imagine um, or cannot imagine or sort of refuse to imagine that we're all in this together. Mm -hmm. Like um, those people, here's what is certain. Those people are the, whoever those people is, immigrants, 
um, whatever, those people are the reason things are messed up. And so, right. for, you know, once we eliminate them or drive them away or make sure that they don't um, become part of our culture, um, once they're done away with, then then there's like the golden age will emerge. <laughs> yeah. Which I was thinking, like, I, re- I remember growing up, um, I mean, the stories that we have all heard you know, with regard to Nazi Germany, um, you know, we, we, there was a certain narrative that we all had. I remember learning later that the Christian church in Nazi Germany was supportive of the Nazi agenda. And like, how can that possibly be? How can that possibly be? And then, um, uh, reading more about the character of fascism, you know, Jason Stanley's book, Mm -hmm. uh, geez, I'm trying to think of another, uh, Timothy, uh, I can't remember, can't remember his name right now. Uh, I think he's at Yale. Timothy Snyder. There's there's a bunch of um, mm-hmm. and Anne Applebaum. There's and I'm sure there are many more, but those are just the ones that I'm familiar with regard to the character of fascism. But one of the main um, features of emerging fascism is if you can find a group to demonize, and they're typically yeah. immigrants or minorities or some social group without without a lot of social power, yeah. and um, that's that's exactly what happened in Nazi Germany and what sure. that made me think of was was the anti-immigrant sentiment among so many white conservative Christians and I'm talking about like evangelical Christians and white yeah. conservative Catholics but among white conservative Christian people in America that is the single the single demographic in the United States that is that has the most anti-immigrant sentiment and so that so that like um if there was any kind of like emerging fascist state in America white conservative christians would be fully in support of it even if that involved like horrible mistreatment of groups without any kind of like social power right it's just amazing to me to see that very same thing replicated in our time right now oh yeah it's scary but that's like the that's like the political payoff of like the quest for certainty. It's not mm-hmm. just some like ideological or theoretical problem that you, you know you can sort of like toy with. It's actually um its implications and it's it 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 has tentacles that are far reaching on the individual level, social level, political levels. I don't know. Yeah. And powerful because they tap into the emotion more so than the yes, rationality and that's what gets scary because emotions are powerful. That's outright, exactly it. Outright dangerous sometimes. Yeah, that's exactly it. So um, it's not the case that with the technological advances, um, there's some kind of like end to fundamentalism because fundamentalisms, yeah. um, they are emotional experiences and, and existential. They're not necessarily like cognitive. You oh, know? for sure. They, there's, there's the offer of a cognitive um, certainty ideological purity and simplicity but i think it's ultimately like an emotional reality Mm -hmm. it's satisfying on that level which is um which is frightening because now you're in the in the realm of you know what the ancients talked about like with regard to the passions which (laughs) man look out yeah right it's nothing but trouble stirred up yeah end up with a culture that looks like a bunch of hoodlums (laughs) gang warfare 
I shouldn't laugh at it, but it's. I know. So feels dang. Like that's the only thing that, yeah. Feels like that's the only thing that's um, the path to sanity. Hoshiani. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, sometimes all you can do is just go after truth for yourself. I mean, I can only control so much and. Yeah, it's me at the end of the day. So yeah. cultivating that uncertainty helps me to be less reactive when things yeah. don't go as I want them to go. Yeah, yeah. What what strikes me is that um, the way a healthy way forward is to cultivate uncertainty, not yeah. merely like accept it or embrace mm-hmm. it or like realize it, like like not backing into it, but like cultivating it. Like this is mm-hmm. just the character of our experience in this world. And you might, you know, the way forward with regard to mental and emotional health is to positively grapple with that and and yeah. sort of take it in and figure yeah. out the ways in which that, you know, the table being set for us like that is um, is a gift and that can be approached well instead of just right. sort of like apologize for or sort of accept it grudgingly. Right. But anyway... Cool, man. So much more to chop up. We'll leave some for next time. Always.